Gina Della from Pella. Get up to five years no interest, five months no first payment, and 5% same-day order savings at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. 555's been extended, but only through October 31st. See PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. I understand that there are times when people say things that are misinterpreted. I get this all the time. I say something, and then somebody will send in a text or send me an email saying, "Well, are, are you are you saying thus? Are you saying this?" And I'm saying, "No, I'm I'm not saying that. I'm saying exactly what I I said." You know, and, and there's some people who like want to misinterpret things, and I understand there's people who mishear stuff. So I, I get the fact that sometimes we have issues with communication, but occasionally, when you say things, people take them at their face value. And it seems silly later on to say that you were misinterpreted. Now, we had this happen over the course of the last couple of days with our favorite Dr. Gloom, Anthony Fauci. Now, if you are a regular listener of this program, you know that I'm kind of ambivalent about Dr. Fauci. I, I think he's very, very knowledgeable. And I think he has provide, been actually, seriously, over the last year and a half, I, I think he has been an asset to this country. I also think he has been incredibly overexposed. I think he is a media hog. And I think his penchant for going on TV and going on radio and doing every newspaper interview that comes along, I think it has hurt him significantly because while I appreciate that science changes, so for example, you say in February of 2020, we don't think people need to wear masks. And, and the science changes. And then four or five months later, when you start to understand more about COVID and it being airborne, you say, okay, well, now, now we think people need to wear masks. I understand how you could get it wrong in February because science does, in fact, change. You get new data, and it causes you to do different things. The problem with Dr. Fauci is... And I can give you countless examples of this. He will go on a talk show on Sunday morning and he'll say something. And then a day later, he'll go on another show and he'll say something that is completely different or at least materially different. And it's all these different mixed messages that are out there that I think cause at least some people to say, well, okay, you're telling us to follow the science, but what really is the science? This is the same thing that you've seen go on over time with the FDA and with the, um, with uh, the Centers for Disease Control, where you've had all these different flip-flops. Tuesday, it's one thing. Friday, it's something else. And you wonder, okay, well, what's really the, the case? It's sort of almost like we're careening from one thing to another and then back to the first because we really don't know what the science is. And my point has always been, you know, maybe instead of just, I don't know, saying anything you want on a particular day, maybe you should really think about it. Maybe that means, Dr. Fauci, maybe it means you don't need to do every single interview that you are asked. Maybe you just you know, take a lower profile and maybe things will be better. Well, you, you saw the latest thing play out over the weekend. On Sunday morning, uh, Anthony Fauci goes on the, the CBS show, uh, the CBS Talking Head show, and one of the things that he's asked, this is their Face the Nation show, and their host, a woman named Margaret Brennan, she says, um, Dr. Fauci, um, can we gather for Christmas, or is it just too soon to tell? All right, that that's the question. And 
There were, were many different responses that he could have given, but his response, I am quoting now, he says, Margaret, you know it's just too soon to tell. All right. So the question is, can we get together for Christmas or is it too soon to tell? He says, you know, Margaret, it's just too soon to tell. All right. Now, that, of course, sent everybody into a, a tizzy. And you know, I think we did a segment on it yesterday about here you've got Anthony Fauci. At the same time, we've got 80,000 people that are going to football games and you've got 50,000 people that are hopefully going to be showing up at American Family Field on Friday and Saturday to watch the Brewers beat the Atlanta Braves. And the time that we're having all these like indoor gatherings and award ceremonies and things like this, you've got Anthony Fauci going on CBS and telling the nation, well, I'm not sure that we're going to recommend people being able to get together for Christmas. And of course, it's like, what? I mean, you know, seriously, I mean, the appropriate response in that case would have been, well, you know, Margaret, I mean, obviously, you know, COVID is going to be with us and we want to encourage people to be safe. And if people are unvaccinated, it, it may be that we're still going to recommend that they wear masks. You know, there's all sorts of things you could say. But he's like, it's too soon to tell if we're going to think that people should have Christmas together. At which point in time, I mean, there is just a huge reaction. It's going, what are you talking about? And this is why I think some people like tend to tune out. Well, after that appearance on Sunday, my guess is somebody with the Biden administration got to Anthony Fauci and asked the same question that people were asking all over the country, which is, what are you talking about? You know, you've got to walk this back because now people are thinking that the nation's top infectious disease expert is telling them that they might not be able to get together with their families at Christmas time. Where is the data for that? You know, where is the science that suggests that? And yesterday afternoon, I think. Again, my sense is he was probably leaned on by people in the Biden administration, or maybe he did this on his own. Um, Anthony Fauci comes out and says, well, no, my remarks were misinterpreted. <laughs> uh, my remarks were, were misinterpreted. Um, uh, that was misinterpreted as me saying that we can't spend Christmas with our families, which was absolutely not the case. I will be spending Christmas with my family. I encourage per- people, particularly the vaccinated people or protected, to have a good normal Christmas with your family, which is all well and good. But the question is, why didn't you say that in the first place? See, that would have been the response that he should have given on on Sunday. He said, look, you know, I'm going to be spending Christmas with my family. I encourage people, particularly vaccinated people or protected, to have a good, normal Christmas with your family. That's the response that he should have given. That is the correct response. That is the we're not panicking response. But instead, he said, no, it's too soon to tell. Now, I'm sorry, when you say it's too soon to tell, And people interpret that as you saying, well, we don't know if people can get together for Christmas. You are not being misinterpreted. That That's what you said, and it was a dumb thing to say. And it's, again, it's another reason why I I think in general when it comes to whether it's a CDC or the FDA or particularly in the case of Anthony Fauci, it's one of the problems that you have when you are overexposed. When you say yes to every TV show, when you say yes to every interview, when you go out and do interview after interview after interview and you just start speaking off the top of your head, you're going to say dumb things. And when it comes to fighting COVID, we do not need the experts saying dumb things. So Anthony Fauci, for everybody who heard the story, now says he was misinterpreted when he said, quote, it's too soon to tell whether you can gather together for Christmas. Now he is saying, well, if you're vaccinated, 
yes, people can get together, which is what he would have sort of said in the first place. And as far as being misinterpreted, my advice respectfully would be, well, Dr. Fauci, maybe you should be more careful with your words, or maybe, just maybe you should consider dialing back your interview schedule and recognizing that every time Good Morning America or the Today Show or Face the Nation or any of these other talking head shows call, maybe you don't do yourself a service by always saying yes. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Your Milwaukee Brewers are back in the postseason and winning the NL Central for the second time in four years. Mr. Baseball Bob Euchre calls Brew October right here on WTMJ. And if you live in southeast Wisconsin, you can also listen online on your phone and on Alexa. It's Brew October on WTMJ, presented by Annex Wealth Management and sponsored by Boucher Automotive, Town Bank, a wind trust community bank, and Delta Dental, Wisconsin's number one dental plan. As a matter of fact, as we mentioned earlier mentioned earlier, I'm going to be broadcasting live from American Family Field noon until 3, um, right before the game on Friday afternoon. And we're we're trying to kind of recreate the, the opening day vibe and things like that. So it should be extremely exciting. No, you're going to want to tune in for that. Already working on the guest list and things like that. Really exciting. Okay. This is not a a surprise, I think, for to anybody. But the, the pandemic screwed things up pretty completely when it comes to the economy. You had lots and lots of people who lost their jobs through no fault of their own, and, and that led to the uh, stimulus payments. It led to the continuation of unemployment payments and things of, of the like, and it, it, it dramatically affected the economy. And plus, what happened is I think you had a number of older workers who were perhaps nearing retirement who simply said, okay, well, I, I don't feel like going back to work. It, it's, I, I, I can see that retirement goal. I would have liked to work for a couple years, but I, I'm going to, I'm just going to pull the plug. You had other workers for whom, well, candidly, their, their jobs went away and, and maybe they haven't been able to find what they describe as suitable replacement jobs. You know, the whole thing about, hey, I was a mid-level manager working, you know, in some, white collar sort of job and I was making $70,000 a year and that company is now closed or though we've downsized and those jobs are going away and they haven't come back yet and I haven't found anything suitable and I, I'm really not at a point where I want to you know go work for, for 12 bucks an hour yet. So th- there's still this kind of disconnect that's going on in in the economy. But I think we can say without hesitation that Right now, there are way more jobs that are out there than there are people willing to fill those jobs. You know, we talked yesterday about the, the fact that there's a, a huge school bus driver shortage. They cannot find school bus drivers, even though, you know, the, the companies are offering, what, 20 plus dollars an hour for school bus drivers and $2,000 bonuses. They can't find people to do that. You know, the holidays are coming up and you, you find a number of retailers that, that can't find people to come in and, and work. And so what they're doing is they're offering, you know, incentives. They're offering cash bonuses. Hey, come on in. You know, if you're still here six weeks later, we'll give you a thousand dollars. Those sorts of things. You talk to almost any restaurant owner here 
or pretty much anywhere in the country, and they'll tell you that they they can't they can't find help. They you know they can't find servers, or if they can find servers, they can't find people to work you know as cooks. They can't find people to work you know as busboys, things of of the like. This is it's a nationwide problem. I was telling the story last week. We we were in Las Vegas for a couple of days, and what really struck me about Las Vegas is how many. How many shops were just closed? You walk up and down the strip, and it used to be, I mean, there'd always be a a storefront that would be vacant or something, but I can't tell you how many storefronts, how many stores in some of the major hotels and all along the strip were just simply closed, or how many restaurants and and other places of business were, were shut down. If not permanently, they were shut down because, okay, normally they'd be open at 10 in the morning, so now they only open at 4 in the afternoon because they can't find help. And that's this uniform story that's out there. Employers cannot find help. It's also creating a number of other problems. For example, with the supply chain. You know, you hear of that about that a lot. The there are they don't have okay, products, for example, come in, say from China on ships. All right. They don't have enough workers at the docks to unload the ships. They don't have enough truck drivers, you know, to pick up the stuff once it comes off the ship to then drive it to the different delivery points. They don't have enough drivers to deliver stuff to the grocery stores. And then when it gets there, they don't have enough people there to stock the shelves. It, it's a problem that you see at every link of, of the chain. And they're saying that they think that this is going to be a huge problem that's going to continue. We don't have people right now that are willing to go back to work. Now, look, I understand part of it, especially for some of the lower paying jobs, was the fact that we continued to pay these unemployment supplements that made it, well, desirable for people to to not go back to work. I mean, the deal was, if you can, I get it, if you can make more or as much not working as working for $12 an hour, okay, I understand. You you stay home, you watch TV. I get it. I understand that. But those, those payments have pretty much ended, and yet we still have this huge disconnect between available jobs and people willing to do the jobs. So I have an open-ended question. I mean, I've got a couple of theories, but I, I really want your input on this. Why is this happening? Why are so few people going back to work? Or maybe put another way, why are so many people choosing not to go and take available jobs? And is, is there an end point? Is this going to, is it going to end? Are we going to get to a point where people suddenly say, okay, well now, now it's time to go back to work? 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Cause the jobs are there. These jobs are out there begging to be filled. You talk to any employer and they'll tell you, we just can't find people who are willing to come in and do the work, even though we pay really good wages. So I, I think it's, it's more, I, I think it's just more than money because there's a lot of, I think, arguably decent paying jobs that are out there that people still aren't willing to do. So what is going on? 855-616-1620. We discuss. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Pete in Waterford. Pete, good afternoon. Hello. Hi, Pete. Hi. What do you think? Why aren't people going back to work? 
Well, they're basically not going back to work because there's no incentive. They, my wife is a nurse a year ago. She was a hero being a nurse. Now she's in a position that she's got to have the shot, which she, she got, uh, but she... Uh, a bunch of nurses lost their job, mm-hmm. and now she's working 12-hour days, six days a week, and trying to cover all these shifts. Right. So how can how can you say that there's any incentive to go back to work for anyone when you don't even know? There's no good information out there that tells people that it, that they're safe. Well, I mean, I guess, I guess Pete, if, I guess if, if, if your point is that the people that aren't going back to work and all these jobs are unfilled, it's because the people feel it, it's unsafe to go back to work. Okay. Well, what, what does that say though for the vast majority of us, the millions and millions of us who have continued working at our jobs during the course of, of, of the COVID pandemic? And I guess my, my other question then would be, for those people who have decided we're not going to go back to work because we don't feel safe, how, how do you subsist? How do you survive? Now, I understand that there's, again, maybe there's some people who are close to retirement or something like that, but I, I don't know. Do, do we have this this nation of people who are independently wealthy and can just decide that we're, we're not going to work? 855-616-1620. We're going to continue this conversation because I, I actually think this is one of the most interesting things that's going on. You know, until people decide they are going to go back to work, and fill the various jobs that are open, we're, we're not going to get back to a sense of normalcy. And by the way, if you think inflation has been hitting now, just wait till you know the costs start to go up when you start to see all the added costs that the employers have to pass on to us because they've, they've got to pay overtime or because there's shortages of goods because you can't get truck drivers to pick up toilet paper that's sitting you know on the dock somewhere. 855-616-1620, what's going on? Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Let's talk to Scott in South Milwaukee. Scott, good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon, Jeff. Thanks for taking my phone call. Yeah, um, what I, again, I, I entered, I can now say that I entered the workforce like about 25 years ago. And at that time, economists were warning about this issue, which is that the upcoming retirements of the baby boom generation and the not enough replacement workers to essentially whatever replace the baby boomers. Right. So you have so you have declining so you have declining birth rates, plus on top of that you have immigration policy, which is which is basically whatever put a stranglehold on on immigrants entering the country. And and typically immigrants have always like quote unquote whatever picked up the slack, whatever for where we had vacancies or couldn't fill couldn't fill positions in, in the greater economy. Now all this well, I mean, I work in an industry, whatever, at a place that, and this is what an old timer told me. He said that, that 30 years ago, that when they would, that when they would put out the help wanted sign, mm-hmm. they would have a, they would have a line yeah. of people, whatever, miles long to take these, to apply for these jobs. Yeah. And then they would have a waiting list of, they'd have a waiting list, whatever, of five years of people. Now when they put out the help wanted sign, they get, they're lucky if they get five people to apply mm-hmm. for for good paying jobs. Yeah, 
Yeah. No, I, I, I think you're, you're definitely right. As a matter of fact, and maybe as we go on in this conversation, we'll have a couple employers who'll call in who'll tell you exactly that story. But I, I, I hear it all the time, particularly in, in the, the trades. You, you've got, Older employees who are retiring, and, and there's nobody, there's no younger employees that want to, don't want to replace them, despite the fact that, you know, you can make a really, really good living in a lot of, in a lot of these particular jobs. People, for whatever reason, don't want to do them. Exactly. No, thank, thanks for call. 855-616-1620. See, and here, here's the, this, this bigger picture and why I find this topic to be so interesting. Um, and the texter raises this. Jeff, I forecast not only inflation, like you're talking about, but a dramatic change in our past way of life. With the shortage of people willing to work, business hours will be further shortened. Sh- uh, services like auto repair, plumbing, electricians will take longer to get appointments. And some of the little luxuries in our daily lives, like is going to a movie or out to dinner will be under a threat of existence without employees to make those things happen. And right, and you don't mean to be alarmist about this, but but there is there's definitely an, an element of that. You've got all sorts of things going on. I, I part of it is the pandemic. I do think part of it was the government subsidizing for so long people not willing or caring to work. I, I do think that's going to change because you know once. The unemployment payments stop, and now they've stopped. You, you can you can go on for a little bit, but at some point in time, you're, you're going to have to go back to work. Now, I understand that there's this element out there, and if um, some people in Congress get their way, you know, maybe you're going to have all these sort of cradle to grave benefits, which will give people safety nets to avoid making them have to go back to work. I hope that doesn't happen because that's a that that's a bad thing. The American dream is about. You know, working hard and advancing and doing better and, and building. And for some reason, I really do think, and I don't mean to be too Pollyanna about ish about this, but I do think the American dream is somewhat in jeopardy by people who are saying, well, okay, I, I don't want to have to start out at the bottom. I don't want to have to, you know, work hard at this kind of menial job. I here, give me $45 an hour to begin with. And it's your problem if you're not going to pay me the $45 an hour, even though the job's not worth that. At some point in time, there's got to be this disconnect and I think it's really really dangerous if you get people in a position where they don't want to they don't want to work and they're somehow feeling that they don't have to work let's talk to Jim in Sturgeon Bay Jim you're in WTMJ hello how are you doing Jeff I'm well thank you what do you think sir okay I think another thing too I'm going to maybe look at this for another period I've been looking for work for a while and really want to be getting back to work however is there i see a very big disconnect with a lot of these employers who are saying that uh their people don't want to work however what i've been noticing is there's been an awful lot of lengthy interview processes and you apply for positions and nobody gets back to you essentially getting ghost ghosted so is my observation is, is go, you go, yes, you have a lot of these people who don't want to work because of the bonus government money. However, is I've noticed you have a lot of employers who don't want to hire. Why do you think that is? Why, why do you think the, the ghosting is going on? For people who don't know what ghosting is, it's, you know, you, you, for example, in this context, you apply for a job, you do an interview, and then you just never hear. Why, why do you think that's happening? I think what it is 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 I think that employers are feeling that they're getting enough of a pool of still enough of a pool, but also too that's sort of been their ways of doing business for years mm-hmm. of 
interviewing, ghosting, and things like that, where they haven't adapted to the times where mm-hmm. uh, they're complaining that nobody wants to work, but yet what it, what comes across is they don't want, they don't seem to really want to hire. Hmm. And I don't know if that's practices within HR organizations or anything like that, but that's just been my observation interesting. out there. Interesting. No, that, that, that's interesting because I will tell you, Jim, I hear from a number of people who, employers who are, have the flip side of that. They'll say, okay, we, we, we put in, we, we do our advertising, we put out the sign, we get maybe five applicants when we used to get 40 of those of the of the people that call us and express an interest we let, let's say 10 people call us and invite express an interest um we set up appointments five show up for the appointments and then even if we offer somebody a job it's maybe 50-50 that they're going to show up and 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 stay for more than a day or two so i mean i think there's a lot of that disconnect that's going on jeff i run uh, here's a net text i own an ex- excavating company i've been trying to find help for the last two years i just gave up now i'm taking less work to keep our small crew busy rather than hire bad workers at high pay i think there's a lot of of businesses that are i think that there are a lot of businesses that are like that doing exactly the same thing now i have another text that has the flip side saying jeff I, i'm not sure i agree with you i have um an 18 year old nephew and the, the texture says an 18 year old nephew who's you know going to school and who's working part-time in a landscaping company and he's just busting his butt and all his friends are as well and and i'm sure there are those stories that are out there but I think that's the exception, at least in my opinion, rather than the rule, because I cannot tell you. It's interesting that the texter uses the example of, of landscaping, because I, I can't tell you how many people I know who work in that industry. Um, uh, some some young people who, you know, start trying to start their own company, who, you know, hire a couple of their friends or whatever, and now are trying to expand, who are just simply saying that they can't get the, they can't get the bodies to do it. I, I know a couple people, and again, I'm being, I'm giving you anecdotal stories, but I think people could relate to this, you know, who talk about, um, who run companies that plow snow in, in the winter. And right now, I mean, if you, if you live in, say, if you're an individual and you want to hire somebody to come plow your driveway or condo complex and you want to hire somebody to come out and, and plow all the driveways in your complex, good luck doing that. Because what you're going to find is a lot of the companies out there, yeah, they do snow plowing, but they don't have as many people as they need. So what they're looking for is they're looking to go plow snow at the at the giant shopping center or whatever where it's not as labor intensive and you can have one guy in a truck and a plow and you can take care of it as opposed to... To, gee, I got to do thirty driveways in a condo complex. It, it's there's a disconnect that's out there, and the longer it goes on, I think the worse it's going to be from a perspective of inflation. The worse it's going to be from again a business perspective, which is you know how our business is going to stay open if they can't find people to do it. And then again, the underlying question, and, and I don't have an answer to it, but it's if you're not working. How are you living at some point in time? And I understand that you know, we, we've got government benefits that subsidize a lifestyle. But, I mean, do you really want to spend the rest of your life, you know, living on, on the government dole? I mean, it, it, that's see, the American dream was all about, hey, you know, go to work. 
you know, better yourself, get some experience, get a better job, move up the ladder. And I understand the American dream doesn't work for everybody, but it's still it's worked for a lot of people, you know, over the years. And if we go to a system where, all right, you know, just here, the, the government's going to get you enough to, to get by. Well, who wants to just get by? This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Really interesting texts about this. Jeff, I feel like people have gotten used to not working and making do. Um, so if you had a job with a crummy boss, who wants to go back to that? We are getting by so I can be home with my kiddos. And there are other jobs I'd be interested in, but I'm not going to wear a mask. And then it kind of goes on. So, I mean, I, I do think that there's still that effect of COVID. And I do think that's, that there are some people who've just decided that they can that they can make do. And, and maybe, you know, you, maybe you don't need both mom and dad to, you know, work outside that, the house. I mean, maybe maybe that's it. And, you know, you're willing to say, OK, maybe we don't need as many material things. Um, so, you know, there's you know, th- there is that factor. Jeff, I was at the top of the food chain in much much machinist trade trade i was laid off during the pandemic i was never called back i feel some industries use the pandemic to clean out their higher paid staff and are now trying to replace with lower paid lower productive replacements well i I mean i I think there is an element of that i was kind of wondering when we had our caller just a little bit ago who was talking about you know being ghosted i mean i apply for these jobs i never hear back i i was kind of wondering how old that person was because I, i do think and you know employers i think will deny it but let i mean let's let's face it i i think that you know if an employer has a even though this isn't legal but if an employer has a choice between hiring somebody who's 42 or hiring somebody who's 62 you know same money they're they're going to lean towards the 42 year old as a general rule um but You know, you do have that that's going on as well. Jeff, it'll be interesting to see how long Americans are satisfied with just getting by and missing all of the services that they have become used to. Well, I think there's a factor about that. Um, Yeah, I mean, I I don't know what the overall answer with this is, but I, I think we're in a different phase in American history because, again, it always used to be, here's the idea, you get out of high school, you try to go to work, you find a job, you try to better yourself, you switch jobs, you get a better job, you move on, or you go to school, you get a degree, you start, again, at the bottom rung, you work your way up. That's historically been the American dream. It hasn't been, here, I'm just going to kind of hang out and wait for my, my child care credits and see, you know, what, what other benefits I can get from the government. It's going to be, I've got to take, you know, the bull by the horns and try to better myself, I I think we're moving away from that. And I think it's going to require a huge attitude readjustment for a lot of people. Speaking of Annex Wealth Management, they are a proud sponsor of Brew October. It's time to know the difference. If you're ready to put things in order, so are they. Annex Wealth Management provides investment, retirement, tax, and estate planning as a local independent partner. Head to AnnexWealth.com and click the Get Started button. All right, it, it was interesting that we were you know, talking about how you, you've got providers who, who can't find people to do the jobs and things like that. This is kind of a related story. I mean, hot off the presses. New Berlin um, has just decided to terminate its existing garbage pickup contract with, with waste 
management. Now, apparently, Waste Management merged a little while back with another company. They took on all these different deals. And um, what's happened is the New Berlin Common Council has just unanimously voted to terminate its contract with Waste Management, effective December 31st. Okay, that that's good because they've gotten all these complaints that, you know, waste management isn't coming out and they're not picking up the garbage in a timely fashion. And it's a deal where people call up the call center and they're not getting responses, et cetera, et cetera. And they say, well, we just think waste management is bitten off more than it can chew. Okay, that that's all well and good. And, and that's fine. But but here's the other interesting point of the story. New Berlin has canceled its contract, its garbage pickup contract with waste management in the hope that another hauler will perform better against complaints of delays in trash and recyclable pickup. So they, they've decided we, we're, unha- we're unhappy, all right, and I take no position on that, but so we're, we're going to fire this company, and then we're going to find somebody else to do it. To which my question is, how do you know that the grass is, is always greener? Again, I'll, I'll, I, talk, I, have a, I have a friend who is the manager of a, of a condo. He's the president of a condo board. And you know, she talks about these stories about how, you know, members of the, some of the owners will complain that, oh, my grass didn't get cut in a timely fashion or this or that or the other thing. And she'll say, look, I, I understand this, but don't you realize, it's talking about landscaping companies, don't you realize that there's none of these landscaping companies that are out there can find enough people to do the jobs. And yes, I understand that you're frustrated that your grass is supposed to be cut on Wednesday and, you know, it, it didn't get cut till the following Monday. I understand all that. I understand you're upset that the trees were supposed to be trimmed and didn't get trimmed. And I understand that you're mad and you want to fire this landscaping company. But my friend will say, okay, tell me who we're going to hire that's going to be able to do a better job because the reality is all these landscaping companies are faced with these challenges. Now, waste management might be doing a really crappy job, no pun intended, of picking up the garbage in New Berlin. All right, I accept that. But I think it's interesting that the folks in New Berlin have apparently decided, well, we know that we're going to be able to dump them and we're going to be able to find somebody who's going to do it better. Well, maybe they will. But the grass is not always greener out there. But again, I think this is another one of these problems where, you know, the underlying company just, just can't get enough people to do all the work that they have to do. And so I understand why the, the customer is unhappy. I get it. Makes sense to me. But before you go, and in this case, fire the company that picks up the garbage on the assumption that you're going to be able to find somebody else who's going to do it better, I, I don't know. Hope they've done their research or else there's going to be a lot of garbage sitting around New Berlin. Back with more in just a couple minutes. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So glad to have you with us. All right. I understand the frustration that elected officials have with the unreasonable levels of violence in Milwaukee. But part of the problem I have is that they are unwilling to confront the principal issue that I think is leading to this just I, I would describe it as the wild, wild west, except in the wild, wild west, you didn't have 11 year old kids being shot at, at 930 at night. I mean, at least in the wild, wild west, whether it's Tombstone or you know Dodge City or whatever, normally the people that shot each other were, I don't know, people involved in gunfights or whatever. In Milwaukee, you take your life into your hands when you are out on the street. The latest story 
story of that, of course, is the one that we discussed briefly yesterday. 8.57 Saturday night, 9 o'clock at night, 3100 block of North Sherman Boulevard, right near Sherman Park. Two children, one age 11, one age 5, being driven home. Family members drive in the car. It's an 11 and a 5-year-old in the car. Another vehicle pulls up alongside theirs, opens fire. All right? Hits both of the kids. The 11-year-old is dead. The 5-year-old is injured. And this, of course, is not a one-off type of situation. As of September 30th, Milwaukee police and the sheriff's office have reported 147 homicides so far in 2021. All right. That compares with 142, the same point last year when the city had a record of 190 homicides. We are 190 homicides. It would be unthinkable. And yet that's what we had last year. And now we're on a pace to top 190 homicides. Um, you know, interestingly enough, through September 20th, this is what the Journal Sentinel says, of those, those 147 homicides, 16 homicide victims have been minors. Let me just, like, let that linger out there. 16 of the murders have been minors. 82 non-fatal shooting victims have been minors. So, I mean, it's, and in most cases, these aren't necessarily minors who are involved, you know, in gangs who are involved in shootouts. In many cases, these are these are just kids like this 11-year-old who's sitting in a car with their parents who ends up, you know, getting shot. And so I, I understand that there's a frustration on the part of elected officials because this is a problem that's been getting worse and worse and, and worse. You know, Tom Barrett, who's on his way out to be the ambassador to Luxembourg, you know, he says that, well, you know, here, here's the problem. He There's not enough money coming from the state, and he doesn't like gun sale regulations. This is what Barrett says in, in, this, in response to this 11-year-old kid who was shot. We have a state legislator, legislature that's filled with people who say they're against crime and don't want to let the largest city in the state pay bills for the police department, and that angers me. We see people selling guns out of the trunks of their cars. We see people selling them in unregulated fashion with no background check, but people are afraid to talk about that. All right, let me stop here for a minute. It's not a question of being afraid to talk about it. It's a question of the mayor of the city of Milwaukee and so many elected officials not willing to confront the real problem that's there. And that problem is bad people who are committing crimes over and over again who are not held accountable. Now, they have not arrested anybody in connection with the shooting of the 11 and the 5-year-old yet. Maybe they will, maybe they, they won't. Um, the Milwaukee Police Department used to have a really good, do a really good job of clearing murder cases. They, those numbers are way down, in part because there's so many more murder cases that are out there. But I am willing to bet you dollars to donuts that if and when they catch the person or persons who were responsible for the shooting on Saturday night, I am willing to bet all the money in my wallet versus all the money in yours that the person's responsible for that shooting, it's not their first time at the rodeo. I, I mean, you, I don't think 
you just wake up one Saturday afternoon and say, oh, here, you know, we're, it's, it's kind of a slow night. I have it. Let's go get our guns. Let's go drive around the city and let's go, you know, shoot into a car with an 11 and a five year old. I'm willing to bet it's not the first time at the rodeo for the people that were responsible for the shooting. Just like I'm willing to bet that if you look at the vast majority of the people who are involved in shootings in the city of Milwaukee as the shooters, it's not the first time in the criminal justice system for most people. Maybe you can find the unicorn. Maybe you can find that exception. But 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 they're out there on the streets committing crimes. We talk about this all the time with the the number of car thefts. You know, it's almost 30 cars a day are stolen in the city of Milwaukee. I, I just that number is just so mind boggling to me. Almost 30 cars a day. And we know that a good percentage of those cars are being stolen by juveniles. And we know that as a matter of policy, the district attorney's office does not waive juveniles into the criminal, into the adult system. So we know as a general rule, if you are a kid and you steal a car, unless you're driving, fleeing from the police at 100 miles an hour and you hit and kill somebody, chances are you're not going to be held accountable at all. If you get caught after you crash the car and run from the cops, yes, you'll be slapped on the wrist, you'll be sent home to mom and dad, and then you'll be out on the streets stealing a car within, you know, six hours, ten hours, etc. I understand if the mayor's if the mayor has frustration with people that are selling guns, you know, out of the trunks of their cars or things like that, that is a crime. I, I get it. I understand why he's upset with that. But but to say, well, we, we need the state legislature to intervene. Why don't we focus on the problem? And if we're going to use our bully pulpit to complain about crime, why don't we focus it where it really needs to be focused, which is the lack of accountability? Why isn't the mayor calling out the DA's office? Why isn't the mayor calling out judges? Why isn't the mayor saying, all right, look, this is this is what happened. We had so-and-so, this is the eighth car that this kid has stolen, and he's back out on the street stealing a ninth car. How did the court system allow this to happen? Why aren't people pouring into the courts when you have time for a sentencing of somebody who's a multiple felon who's been caught with guns or involved in a shooting or something, why aren't we saying, take this person off the street? Why aren't we focusing the problem on what, to me, the problem really is, which, like I say, is the repeat, the recidivism that is out there? Get the bad guys off the streets. Yeah, just should people... Should we be concerned about the availability of guns? Absolutely. Should we be concerned that, you know, you've got somebody in an alley that opens the trunk of his car and is selling a bunch of stolen guns to people who you know are going to use them to commit crimes? Absolutely. We should be concerned about it. But when you catch that person, okay, why are they still back out on the street in a position to do this? It is a complete and total, in my opinion, breakdown of the entire, quote, unquote, criminal justice system. And you have elected officials who are afraid to use their bully pulpit to call out the repeat criminals, to call out the judges that put these people back out on the street, to call out the bail procedures that take people and just send them back out to commit more crimes. And why is that? Well, it's because, well, we don't want to run afoul of the folks who say we're putting too many people in prison. Well, my, my point is, if you've got people that are shooting up the streets, if you've got people that are committing crimes of violence, they belong in prison. 
Why are we so afraid to say that? Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think, you know, any conversation about crime, and we are clearly at a crisis point in this area when it comes to crime. I think any conversation has to start with the recidivism, the repeat criminals, and the need of the justice system once and for all to start protecting people. Because you're not going to stop the shootings until you get the people who are inclined to shoot up the cities off the street. And yes, I understand that means you're going to probably have to build more prisons. I get it. I'm all in favor of that, because if the choice is having an 11-year-old child shot or, you know, building some more prisons to keep people who would shoot 11-year-olds off the street, I vote for the prisons. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk on uh, talk and Text Line. Look, and I understand that when, when I talk about tough on crime and I talk about locking up people that are, are that are committing all these crimes and calling out this justice system that is, I would say it's a revolving door, but that would insult revolving doors. I understand that that's not the political correct approach to stuff nowadays. But don't we have to start by making the streets safe? And if that means taking that percentage of the population who is inclined to do stuff like this and warehousing them getting them off the street, and I don't, again, I, I don't care about the ethnic composition of the people. If you're shooting up the streets, regardless if you're white or brown or black or green or blue or purple, you deserve to be taken off the streets. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, and we can pass all the laws, and I have no problem if the legislature wants to give the city of Milwaukee some money so they can hire another 20 or 30 cops. I'm all in favor of that. But this isn't going to change until we decide that we're going to start holding people who commit crimes accountable. And for those in responsibility who don't hold the people accountable when they commit crimes, we've got to start naming names. And so it would be nice to have the mayor show up one day and kind of run through a list of, I don't know, some of the people who've committed some of the most recent crimes who've been convicted, giving their rap sheet and asking the question, why the hell were they out on the street in the first place? 855-616-1620, we discuss. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If I sound frustrated, I, I am. It's because if you do what I do for a living and you put together a three-hour show five days a week, and especially if you have an, an interest in crime prevention and criminal justice issues like I do based on my background, you, you see one story after another about, all right, this shooting, that shooting, people killed. Now it's, it's kids getting killed at an alarming rate. And it's always the same conversation for politicians who end up, you know, wringing their hands and saying, oh, well, we need more state aid or, or you know, we, we need, you know, we need fewer guns on the street. Okay, I don't disagree with that, but, but there's all these laws. I would say to the mayor, mayor, there's all these laws that say that you can't sell a bunch of guns out of the back of a car in an alley. Okay, so, but the person that's selling them, catch them, put them in prison for years. But what about the people that are using those guns? Why can't we put those people in jail for years instead of worrying about, oh, gee, what some politically correct people will think? At some point in time, don't we need to be concerned about safety? And don't even get me started on the car thefts, which are driven by repeat 
juveniles who steal cars with impunity because they know nothing is going to happen to them unless when they are fleeing the cops at 95 miles an hour, they happen to hit and kill somebody. Otherwise, they're going to be on the street to steal a car a day later. And don't think those kids don't know it. Why don't we start calling out the people in the system that are putting people back out on the street over and over and over again? Dave in Kenosha. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Oh, yeah. Hi. Th- thanks, Jeff. I was I just did. wondering, uh, I, I just sort of tuned in. I listen to you often, and I appreciate it. And I was just wondering, you had said earlier that um, there's a choice between, for example, you know, shooting a, an 11-year-old or putting, putting someone in jail for, you know, to say that the criminals were shooting people. So I'm wondering, I mean, isn't that a false choice? I mean, there are other alternatives, aren't there? Like, you know, stronger background checks and looking at the Second Amendment and so on. I'm sorry, I don't understand your point. My my point was that I'm willing to bet that the person responsible for shooting the 11-year-old had been responsible for a whole bunch of other crimes. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it was their first time, but I, I doubt it. And reality says most of the people that are out there that are committing crimes of violence or crimes with guns ha- have done it over and over again. And my point is, why are these people, why are they back out on the streets to begin with? Why Why don't we lock them up? That's what I think the real option is. Right. That, that, that's true. But I'm just, I guess I'm just wondering, you know, building more prisons is, you had said that, yep. you're for that. I am. I'm wondering, you know, if, if, are you also for, for example, stronger background checks and, and, and a, look, a, a re-look at the, you know, a, some kind of check on the Second Amendment? Well, I guess, I mean, here would be my answer to you, Dave. It, it, all right. First of all, I, I live in this real world that's out there. And for it in the real world, now, if, if you want to go back 200 years and you want to and, and we want to have a discussion about, gee, did, did the founding fathers really intend for private ownership of firearms? And we'd ever really think about, you know, b- back then we had, you know, musket loaders. We didn't have the, these handguns and stuff. That, that's an interesting conversation. But here's the truth. We're, we're not going to go door to door in this country, in the real world, and collect everybody's firearms. And and the truth of the matter is, I would argue 99% of the firearms owners in this country are not a problem. They are law-abiding citizens who have guns for self-protection or target shooting or they're collectors or whatever. 99%, and maybe somebody will disagree and say it's 98%, maybe somebody will say it's 97%, but the overwhelming majority of gun owners are law-abiding gun owners who are not the problem. The problem is a small percentage of criminals who use the guns to commit crimes. Now, my starting, now again, if if we want to have this theoretical conversation of, could we go and somehow collect everybody's guns? In the real world that we both live in, that ain't going to happen. It's just not. So I think that the more practical conversation is, let us focus on that 1% or whatever the number is of criminals that are out there who are committing crimes with guns. And I would add the people who are also criminals who are providing those other criminals with the firearms. I mean, I'm look, I I think that that that's where you have to come down on this. Is it an overall conversation about the Second Amendment? No, it's not that. Let's start with saying you commit a crime with a gun, you're going to prison for five years minimum. No pass go, no parole, p- 
period, and, and make it very clear that that's it. Let's let's start with those types of things. That's what I would urge is is the practical way that you approach stuff. Let's concentrate on the criminals. Now, when it comes to the guns, and we've talked about this in different contexts. I look. I if if we want to have a discussion of do you need. Do you need these these super long magazines that have contained 50 bullets and things like that? That's a fair conversation, okay? But that's not the underlying problem. The underlying problem we have with crime is too many, in my opinion, repeat criminals that are out on the streets. They've got the impulse control of a fruit fly. They've got no respect for themselves or anyone else. And what they're willing to do is shoot 11-year-olds. And again, maybe I'm maybe I'm going to be completely wrong if the if they solve this particular homicide, and, and maybe again it'll turn out to be somebody with no criminal record and whatever. But we, you know, if that's the case, that's the unicorn. It's let's start with getting the repeat criminals off the street, and maybe if the politicians would focus on being willing to risk alienating some members of their constituency by saying, you know what, we're, we're not sending these, we're not sending people to prison long enough. You know, you committed a crime with a gun, you shouldn't be out on the street on bail. You committed a crime with a gun, you shouldn't be back on the street in 18 months ready to do it again. I understand that I, I'm just, I, I understand in some respects I'm preaching to the choir, but it's just so frustrating to see these this type of criminal behavior go on day after day after day after day, and we get the same old canards, well, you know, we, we really, you know, we need tougher gun laws or something like that. Oh, okay, last time I checked, it was illegal to shoot into a car and hit and kill an 11-year-old. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I know it's a little early to be talking about elections, but elections already kind of shaping up. The big, I, I think, question right now is, is he in or is he out? Um, Ron Johnson, the incumbent U.S. senator who's been taking heat from all sorts of different sources, who is probably the number one target um, of Democrats in the U.S. Senate. And that's because, you know, Wisconsin is always a very divided state. Our elections tend to be close. There's been some, you know, exceptions. You know, Tammy Baldwin was reelected comfortably. Tommy Thompson used to win big. But in, in general, it's going to be, you can figure that it's going to be a close election. And I, I think... The U.S. Senate race next year in Wisconsin is going to be close. Um, you've got a number of Democrats who want to run against Ron Johnson. He hasn't announced whether he's running again, but he, despite uh, number one, he, he he is a is a target because he's the one incumbent Republican running in a state that Biden carried. So you got that, and I mean, I'll be the first to admit that you know Ron Johnson has been involved in a series of controversies. So everybody's waiting as to whether he's going to run or not. In addition, you have Lena, don't you know who I am, Taylor, very controversial state senator. She's been extremely upwardly mobile over the years looking to to try to advance, and she's decided that she's going to run for lieutenant governor. The way it works in Wisconsin is in the general election you run as a ticket. The governor's candidate runs with the lieutenant governor candidate. But 
in the primaries, it's contested. So, for example, there could be three or four Democrats running to be lieutenant governor. Whoever gets the nomination then automatically runs with with Tony Evers. That's kind of the way it works. So Lena Taylor announcing she wants to be the lieutenant governor on the Republican side. And this is kind of a, a weird story. There are were a couple candidates who were vying for the opportunity to, for the Republican nomination to take on Josh Call, who is the Democrat attorney general. And, and one of them was a really interesting guy. His name is Ryan Owens. And I, I've never met him personally, but I, we have mutual acquaintances. And actually, I owe him a phone call or, or two. But anyhow, he... Um, he was a law professor at the University of Wisconsin-Madison and raised a, a whole bunch of money and, and had a lot of support. Well, he just dropped out of the race the other day. There was this controversy that, candidly, to me, it was a tempest in a teapot. You know, when he was at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, he hosted a series of, of podcasts. He, he did a series of interviews with people, and some of the people that he interviewed were critical of Donald Trump. Okay, well, no, no big deal. And I didn't hear the podcast, but I, my guess is in, in some of these interviews, he probably jumped on, was a little bit critical of Donald Trump as well. Well, when it, when somebody, when people started looking into his, his background, some of these podcasts came up and then, for reasons that are still unclear to me, several of these podcasts were deleted. They'd taken off the website that they appeared on, which, to me, made absolutely, you know, no, no sense. And then the podcast kind of came back. And and then ultimately, Ryan Owens decided that he wasn't going to run. He's dropping out of the race because he said he was getting you know all sorts of static and he was getting all this, you know, these negative remarks and people calling him a rhino and stuff like that. And to which for, I guess I had two thoughts. First of all, the Republican Party is in a lot is in really bad shape. If you, you cannot have a disagreement, you cannot have legitimate disagreements about the impact of Donald Trump. And if if you can't run as a Republican candidate and say, well, maybe the election wasn't stolen or or maybe Trump didn't behave properly in connection with the events of January 6th, if that's going to be the litmus test. Well, and I don't believe it is, by the way, the, the Republican Party's in, in a lot of trouble as to Ryan Owens. If I don't know, some talk show host somewhere or some emailers calling you a rhino makes you just kind of like curl up into a ball and say, I really want to be the attorney general, but I'm not going to run. Well, if, if that's the case, you, you probably don't belong in politics because politics isn't be, is not beanbag. And, you know, if you think being criticized from, I don't know, some people on the right because maybe you weren't as supportive of Donald Trump, if you can't stand that heat, you're certainly not going to be able to stand the heat when you get into a general election where you have a bunch of people who really view politics as a blood sport. So I was sorry to, to hear that Ryan Owens dropped out of the race. Right now, there's only one Republican, the district attorney in Fond du Lac County, who's in the race. Um, but I, I guess, again, if if being called a rhino is more than you can handle, you probably don't belong in the race in the first place. That being said, I, I hope that there's good candidates out there for all these different offices who aren't afraid to run as Republicans simply because, well, you don't think that everything that Donald Trump did during his four years in office was was great. And again, I, I think the, the message of Trump is very mixed. I think there was some stuff that he did very, very good. I think there was other stuff he did that was very, very bad. I think that the constant harping on the election 
was a huge distraction, not productive, and ultimately paints him as a spoiled loser. I think his behavior in connection with the lead-up and the following January 6th was absolutely appalling. So, I mean, I think it's a very, very mixed message, and I think his chaos style of management was very, very bad for the country. So, I mean, I, I view it in a very mixed sort of light. I'm not afraid to say that. I think I've got conservative um, bona fides. But again, I'm not running for office. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. This week's sponsor for the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase, presented by Great Midwest Bank, is a new partner that we are delighted to welcome to the station, Kohler Services. This is really, really cool. Give them a call at 262-357-3300 or visit KohlerServicesWI.com to see all they have to offer. From inspiration to installation, reimagine your bathing experience and contact Kohler Services for a free design consultation. All right. I, I have to confess something. All right. My name is Jeff, and I am not on Facebook. I, I'm just, you know, it, it's interesting. I understand that almost everybody in the world is on Facebook, but I'm I'm not. And, you know, I, I don't think my life w- is any less rich and full because I'm not on, on Facebook. I, I have a Twitter account, and occasionally I use it for work, and every once in a while I will share with you thoughts that I have, or, you know, sometimes if we're out and about doing things, I'll, I'll use it to post pictures, give you an insight into my personal life, but I, I'm not I'm not one of these people that spends hours and hours a day on Twitter, and I, and I, for all intents and purposes, have never been on Facebook. I think I have a station Facebook account from years ago, and I'm not even sure I remember the password on it anymore, uh, because I just it was it was not something that interested me. Now, my wife the lovely and beautiful Fran, she is on Facebook, but only as a way of keeping up with, with friends, you know, so it's one of those deals where you know, she's not into the political discussions and things like that, but she'll check it because she, she's got a group of friends and they'll post stuff, people post stuff about their kids or their grandkids or whatever, but but that's the only thing that she uses it for. It's not a discussion point of, of events of the day, and, and I again, I don't use Facebook a, at all. I understand that there's a lot of people out there that do. And as a matter of fact, a lot of people were freaking out yesterday when Facebook went down for an extended period of time. The big issue with Facebook right now is you have the the whistleblower, and I put that in quotation marks, the Facebook employee who essentially stole a whole bunch of Facebook records. Um, her name is Frances Hagen, and she, she stole a lot of records and she leaked them to the Wall Street Journal and she's now coming out and you know her her big pitch on Facebook and and this to me this is kind of like a dog bites man story she says well look, here, here's the deal with Facebook Facebook thrives on controversy Facebook puts stuff on there and promotes stuff that is designed to get people angry because they have the research that shows that if you're if you're if you're mad, you're more likely to stay on longer. You're more on to click. You're more likely to click on more stuff. And so, of course, the way Facebook makes money is the longer you stay on, the more stuff you click, and the more ads you see, the, the more they get paid. And and this was presented over the last couple of days as this giant revelation. Oh, gee, you know, people are attracted to controversy. To which, I mean, part of me is saying, huh? 
because I mean th- this is not anything unique. I mean MSNBC gets ratings like the ratings are in the tube right now because Joe Biden is the president. MSNBC was really hot when Donald Trump was the president. Why? Because they ran story after story after story disparaging Trump, and you had all these anti-Trump people that were watching, and they were just riveted because they wanted to see the next bad Trump story. As I've talked about before, the New York Times and the Washington Post during the Trump era essentially became house organs of the Democratic Party because they, they found that you know people, the, the Trump haters out there, couldn't get enough of that. So that's why they ran story after story after story after story with an anti-Trump spin to it. I mean, so th- this notion that, gee, Facebook tries to promote controversy, it's like, okay, you know, <laughs> tell me something that we, we didn't know. Of course they end up doing it, but that's the way... That's the way media companies make money. That's the way the newspapers do it. That's the way the TV stations do it. That's just the, the nature of the business. If you get people riled up and you get them engaged, they're, they're more likely to stay and to click and read more and more and get more involved than if it's everything is just, okay, you know, fluffy, fluffy bunnies and things like that. So you've got that whole story. And so I'm not sure where this whole Facebook thing is going to come other than all these people who are suddenly surprised and outraged. Oh my gosh, Facebook is trying to, you know, instill controversy. Well, of course they're trying to instill controversy because they know controversy sells and that's not unlike any other media operation. But the larger point about all this is, all right, is there a value to Facebook, and, and and how do people use it? I want to open up the phone lines briefly. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Like I say, I'm not on Facebook, and for all intents and purposes, I've really never been on Facebook. Now, I keep up with current events. It's my interest as a news junkie. It's also part of my job, but I guess... I've never really felt that I'm missing anything not being on Facebook. So for you, if you're out there and you are, in fact, a Facebook user, our number 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you use it for and what is the value that's there? All right. Facebook users of the world, what's it all about? We discuss in just a moment, 855-616-1620. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So, I mean, you're going to see all this stuff. The, the, the woman who's the whistleblower from Facebook is, is testifying in front of Congress today. And, and, and her big revelation is that, gee, you know, Facebook, it fosters controversy. You know, and the, we have algorithm algorithms that foster discord, which, in other words, means, gee, when we put controversial stuff up there, it gets people riled up or it gets people supportive. And so they, they click on the stuff and they tend to stay longer on the stuff that uh, sparks controversy, to which my response is. Yeah. And I mean, how like I say, how is that any different than what, you know, all other media platforms do. I mean, how is that different than the New York Times with its former obsession on Donald Trump? And they, they knew it. They knew their subscribers wanted the anti-Trump stuff. So they just fostered it because they were more likely to click on to the anti-Trump stories. That, that's what the Washington Post did. You know, it, it's the secret behind the success of MSNBC and Fox News and, and, and all that. I mean, gee, you know, it, it's not exactly a, a revelation that Facebook 
which makes its money by people staying on Facebook and clicking on things and staying on longer and therefore seeing more ads, it shouldn't be a surprise necessarily that, gee, we're trying to encourage people subtly or not so subtly to to stay on and, and do that. It's... It's really like, oh, gee, what a surprise. MSNBC caters to the the far left and gets eyeballs by, you know, ripping Republicans. Fox News, the opposite thing. This isn't exactly rocket science, for goodness sakes. But the larger point is, you know, what is Facebook's relevance? And and I I confess that it's just something that's never, ever had an interest for me. My wife uses it, again, because it's an easy way to you know, keep up with your friends and, gee, so-and-so, they're in Hawaii this week or there's the grandkids or whatever. I understand that, but beyond that, eh. Okay, 855-616-1620. Jeff, I use Facebook. This is from Mike in Marquette, Michigan. I use Facebook almost exclusively for the marketplace feature. It's free and it's easy to buy and sell things compared to other platforms, but I stay away from the cesspool of political posts, people's posts regarding that, and... um in comments. Jeff, I use Facebook to stay connected with friends and family. I follow things that interest me. I do not engage in any political baloney. I I truly enjoy Facebook for that. Like I say, it sounds like they're using it just like uh, my wife is. Um, Jeff, I use it for buying tickets to shows, and I keep up with artists and event spaces and bar specials. I also use it to wish and remember people's birthday. Right. And that's, I mean, I understand all that. Jeff, Facebook is a mess. Nothing but trouble. Um, I've never had it. I never will get it. My wife has it, um, and she ends up using it. So, I mean, you know, that's that's it. Jeff, you are not alone. I am 55 years old. I have never had a Facebook account. I have way better things to do with my time. Jeff, I think Facebook is entertainment. We gravitate towards things that impact our lives. Look at the pre-Facebook news coverage of uh, 9-11. Uh, I, you know, I guess I just look at all this stuff and the controversy going on around Facebook. And, and if you want to use it, I mean, go with God. That, 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 that's great. But th- this idea that, oh, my gosh, Facebook is this benign thing and, and Facebook isn't out there trying to make money. Well, of course, Facebook's out there trying to make money. And, and yes, if you play into the game, um, they, they know how to do it. They, they know how to track you, and, and they're a business like any other. And you can decide whether you want to play that game or not. For me, like I say, I, I've been, I'm not on Facebook, and I don't think that I've lost anything in my life because of it. If you decide you want to be on it, that, that's fine. But all this controversy, do we need the government to crack down on Facebook? No. No, people are on Facebook because they want to be on Facebook. And we don't need the government to crack down on Facebook any more than we need the government to crack down on MSNBC or Fox News or the New York Times or the Washington Post. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Whatever happens to act. Now, I mean, the, the idea that you have, I was thinking of this because uh, my wife's grandson, is, is he's got one of a, a series of lead roles in a play, and we're all kind of excited about watching to see him like, do, the, do the play when it comes off. But it, it's, it's, I mean, whatever happened to, to acting? You know, you, I don't know, there's that high school play 
and you decide that you're going to try out for for the play and and you ended up getting cast in a, in a particular role and what would happen sometimes is i don't know maybe maybe the role that you were playing was i don't know a priest that that was it i i was in this high school play and they wanted to, uh, they wanted to cast me as a priest believe it or not and it so okay that that's that that's but i'm not catholic okay i'm i'm not catholic does that mean because i'm not catholic i i can't play the the role of the priest and i think the answer would be of course not you're acting that that's the idea not acting well necessarily but but you're acting all right let's think about one of the most famous most famous and successful movies of all time it would be The Godfather, right? All right, now think about the cast of The Godfather. Marlon Brando was Vito Corleone. The eldest son, Sonny, right? You know, Sonny Corleone, um, he was played by James Caan. Right? James Caan is not Italian. James Caan is a Jewish actor. He's not Italian, but he, he was cast as this in this role as somebody you know who's, who's Sicilian. Okay, he wasn't Sicilian. He was Jewish, for goodness sakes. Did that mean that he shouldn't have gotten cast in the part? Well, no. Did it mean he wasn't a great actor? No. I mean, he, he was an actor. He played the role in a tremendous fashion. And just because James Caan was not Italian, I mean, would we have argued that, gee, the movie would have been better if they had to go out and try to find somebody who was Italian? Well, the answer, I think, would be, of course not. So where am I going with this? There is a comedian. Her name is Sarah Silverman. She, she's had a series of TV shows on cable and stuff. She's in her early 50s. She's, um, she was the, uh, she was with Jimmy Fallon for years and years. And, but, but, you know, she, she's kind of successful in, in her own right. She's created a whole bunch of, of controversy by doing various controversial things. But she's in the news because, um, she has come out and she has denounced casting directors in Hollywood and elsewhere who are hiring non-Jewish people to play the roles of Jews in performances. And she's saying, hey, look, the the long tradition of non-Jews playing Jews, um, I I think this is just just wrong. And she goes on to rip things. I mean, she's got a couple examples of it. Joan Rivers, you know, the late comedian, there's a, a new biopic that's, that's coming out um, with her, and they've cast an actress named Catherine Hahn to play Joan Rivers in this, this biopic. Um, Catherine Hahn, if you saw like WandaVision, she was in that. But in any event, Joan Rivers, famous comedian, she was Jewish. Catherine Hahn is not Jewish. Not Jewish. But she's been cast in that role. Um, one of the um, I think, is it on Hulu? I believe it's on Hulu. Um, one of the shows that's incredibly successful, that's won a lot of awards over time, is the show The uh, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which is, of course, um, a show about a, it, it's sort of loosely based on the life of Joan Rivers, about a Jewish woman who starts as a stand-up comedian. And it's, again, I think it's Hulu. If if it's another one, I apologize. But it's one of those cable channels. I've only seen a couple of the episodes of it. But it's very successful. But it stars a woman named um, Rachel Elizabeth Brosnahan. And interestingly, she was born in Milwaukee, grew up in Chicago. She's not Jewish. She's not Jewish, but she's playing a, a Jewish 
character, just like the the gal cast to play in the um, Joan Rivers biopic is not Jewish, but she's playing a Jewish character. So anyhow, Sarah Silverman is going off saying, I, I just think that only Jews should play Jewish characters. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think about this? I mean, is are we at a situation where it's, what would be the phrase, cultural appropriation? I mean, if, if you're casting a, a movie about Italians, can you have a non-Italian playing an Italian role? If you're casting a movie about Catholics, can you have a non-Catholic playing the role of a Catholic? This is the true with, with people of the Jewish faith. Can you have a non-Jew that's playing, you know, a, a Jewish role? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I guess I just I listen to these stories and I swear I think we've kind of we've gone down the rabbit whole that this idea and of course you see this playing out in other ways as well can you have somebody who's straight play the role of a gay character on a tv show or in a movie can you have somebody who's gay play the role of a heterosexual character on tv and my answer to all of these is it's acting of, of course you can I mean, this idea that we we now have to, if we're going to, you know, cast different roles, oh, you know, you're you're not of this particular ethnicity, so you can't play this role. This isn't your religion, so you can't play this role. At what point, and, and, you know, what a dangerous, what a dangerous kind of box to open up, because is that then going to limit the number of roles for people who are, I don't know, in, in groups where there's, for example, if you would say only people who are Jewish can play Jewish characters, well, I presume that would mean that people who are Jewish then could not play non-Jewish characters. And and my guess is there's probably a lot more non-Jewish characters than Jewish characters. 855-616-1620. To me, this is just crazy. But but some people see this as cultural appropriation. What do you think? We discuss in a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, I'm sorry. I, stuff like this just makes my head explode. I, I understand if the argument is, "Hey, we have to try to get diversity in the movie industry or diversity in the TV industry, and, and we want to, you know, encourage a broader range of people to apply for roles in front of the camera, or behind the camera." I no problem with that. But this idea that, okay. In order to, you must be of a certain ethnicity in order to play a character of that ethnicity. So um, James Kahn, if you would follow that, since he's not Italian, he couldn't have been Sonny Corleone in the in the Godfather. This is what this Sarah Silverman, this quote-unquote comedian, is saying. She's, I'm, she's really upset that to they've cast a non-Jewish woman to play Joan Rivers in a Joan Rivers biopic. She's upset that there's a non-Jewish woman who's portraying the lead character in the story of a would-be Jewish comedian in The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. 855-616-1620. To me, it's acting. Holly in Kenosha. Hi, Holly. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Thank you so much for taking my call, Val. I am 67 years old. I'm Jewish. No, you cannot uh, be strict about this, that a Jewish person must portray a Jewish person, an Italian person must portray an Italian. You cannot do this. It depends on the actor. It depends on their acting style, the way they look, their mannerisms. Mm -hmm. 
a very good example, if you remember uh, the TV show Northern Exposure in yeah. the 1980s. I do. Uh, Rob Morrow, the actor, played Dr. Joel Fleischman. Oh, well, we all thought he was Jewish. They never came out and said if he was or he wasn't. He probably wasn't because it would ruin the persona, and it didn't make any difference. Right. He played the part marvelously. Yeah. Uh, Eli... Um, Eli Wallach's wife, Ann Jackson, portrayed a number of Jewish women in her career. Mm-hmm. She was not Jewish. Well, Im- <laughs> Hollywood, imagine what, if, if we held that standard, I mean, no high school, and one of the texters made this point, no high oh, school would ever God. be able to stage Fiddler on the Roof if, if that was it. it has, right. Okay, it's got to be yeah, an right, all-Jewish exactly. cast. And my high school, my high school, which was in the Chicago suburbs of where I'm from originally, they had Fiddler on the Roof, and you had... Uh, the League of Nations, uh, the German kids and the Polish kids and the, and the Hispanic, and not Hispanic, what am I saying? <laughs> you know what I mean. Right. You had everybody yeah. portraying every other role. And another thing, unless it works, now sometimes it does work, social network, that movie, mm-hmm. um, uh, Jesse Eisenberg right. did portray Mark Zucker. Well, they boys two, the two of them looked like each other, yeah. so in that case it worked, but... No, I don't see where, well, she's from a whole, this Sarah Silverman, she's from a whole new generation and a whole new world, and they think diversity, which is fine to a certain extent. I'm with you. Thanks for calling, Holly. And again, I'm not saying that, okay, you might not, if, if you have a... An ethnic character. If if the if the role is okay, we're we're casting Lawrence of Arabia, and there's all sorts of stories about you know that if we're we're casting Lawrence of Arabia, and and we're looking for people of, of Arab descent. Oh, okay. Well, it might make more sense to find somebody that that is of that background. I mean, but you know, um, it's not necessarily. I, I don't think it has to be a, a given because, like I say, it, it's acting. And to Holly's point, if somebody's got the look, that that's it. Here's a text, Jeff. Of course you can play someone from a group that you don't represent in real life. That's what acting is all about. If you're portraying a demographic in a blatantly offensive way, of course, that that's a a problem. But if an actor does their best to play the role that they're cast, what's the issue? Ben Kingsley did an amazing job of playing Gandhi in the 1983 movie. He's an English actor playing an Indian hero, and he won an actor for best actor because he was acting. Well, I- exactly. I mean, that's that's the underlying point of all this. But we're so caught up in this diversity stuff that we lose sight of it. And and then I think people are afraid to, to take this on. People are afraid, well, gee, I don't want to offend you know people who are Jewish by suggesting that maybe somebody who's not Jewish could play that particular role. Well, of course, because like I say, the flip side is, would you say to a Jewish actor, gee, you can't play the role of, of somebody who's Catholic, or you can't play the role of somebody who's Muslim, or you can't play the role of somebody who's agnostic? Of course you wouldn't say that. I mean, if you're good enough for the role, if you're good enough for the part, number of people are saying, Jeff, you know, how about Hamilton, right? All the founding fathers were white. Hamilton is staged, you know, as a production with blacks. See, I've always... I mean, you look at Shakespeare, and there's uh, a number, I don't claim to be an expert on Shakespeare, but I've, I've seen a number of the plays, and one of the plays that gets staged a lot is the Scottish play, Macbeth. And, you know, you will see um, a, a lot of times, you know, Macbeth will be performed in... I, I don't know. It, it'll, maybe it'll have an all-black cast, for example. You know, they'll, they'll do things to kind of change the stuff up. And to me, that that's incredibly entertaining. Do, do I think, you know, Macbeth needs to be played by a Scottish actor? Of course not. 
I mean, you know, actually the the thrill and some of the fun of that is seeing the way that talented actors portray roles. And I don't think that, you know, it's cultural appropriation to say we, we want to find talented actors to do the job. All right. John McCure, Wisconsin's Afternoon News. John's coming up. We'll find out what he's got on his show in just a minute. Please don't go anywhere.